Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Pensac football wrapped up Big Ten Media Days on the first day, which was yesterday, Wednesday. Greg Pickle was with us on Monday to preview everything. Now we are recapping to see if we were right. Also, just talk about what they talked about yesterday. I'm Thomas Frank Carr, Greg Pickle in Indianapolis in his hotel room. Um, we are going to do our best to get through the show today. We tested the equipment, but we had tested it before everyone in Indianapolis woke up. So hopefully Greg has a strong connection, but just be forewarned. We ask for your patience this morning as we get through all of that. So, Greg, how you feeling on your third, fourth cup of coffee so far? Fourth cup of coffee, yes, and second internet stream. So hopefully this is the one for us, T. Frank, because I think that if we can get through this show, it's going to be a good one, but we are going to have to very much try and get through it because it's been a little dicey so far. Yeah, uh, immediately the first thing is, like, you're talking in your microphone. I don't know that your microphone's working, but we're going to run with it. It's totally okay, and we're going to make sure that uh, we get the words out of your mouth, which are the most important thing. So let's get right to it. Let's talk about um, the players and what they had to say yesterday, because, of course, James Franklin spoke. We'll get to that here at the end, but we gave you his full comments over at Blue White Illustrated uh, on the YouTube channel, that video was uploaded yesterday afternoon. You can check out the site, and uh, you can see the stories written about all that stuff. So let's get to the players. Um, Olaf Ashanu, big name in Indianapolis, a yeah. guy that everyone nationally is aware of, very now, I think, uh, well-known in football circles. What did he have to say, and what was he asked during his media session on Wednesday? <laughs> 
Yeah, so a lot of it T. Frank focused on, I think I got the mic working now, but we'll find out here in a sec. But a lot of it T. Frank focused on what Penn State fans already know, the reasons he came back. So Big Ten Media Days obviously is a gathering of regional, national media, people from all around the conference who are not necessarily focused on Penn State every day or every month or what have you. So sometimes you get questions and repeated questions, really, that are on topics that Penn State fans already know. And Olu Fashano fueled a lot of those, just the fact that he came back, he could have been a top 10 pick, top five pick, what have you. He decided to return turn and everyone knows that academics were a big reason why wanting another year in college were a big reason why but the key takeaway for me and his media availability didn't actually come from him it came from james franklin who told reporters that he gained 20 pounds but tested faster and stronger than he did uh even though he previously even though he's put on the weight so one of the things james franklin said was he thinks that he's now better equipped to come to a place like lucas oil stadium where of course the nfl combine is typically held i think it's going to move around here in the future but and test better better than maybe he would have before. So, I mean, yeah. I think we all knew that he was going to anchor this offensive line, T. Frank. I think we all knew he was going to be considered one of the top offensive linemen in the country. But I came away from that uh, availability yesterday thinking that this guy might be even better than we think he's can be. And we already have a pretty yeah. high bar for him at this point. So, yeah. you know, the one thing he didn't talk about was the idea that he missed a lot of games last year and towards the end of the season and he didn't play in the blue white game. So, you know, that was one thing I thought he would address. He did not, but he seems healthy, ready to go and obviously bigger, stronger and faster. So I find it very interesting. I would take it as Olaf Fashanu is actually going to live up to the expectations that we set for him that kind of got out of control by the end of the right. year because the, the injury kind of ended the story. So we had this positive, um, feel and, and and he's so talented and and he's going to live up to all those expectations i want to be clear right. but like not all of those manifest in his play last year i think right. everyone saw the potential and everything we talked about him james franklin mentioned this it's what we we talked about last year he's 19 during the season there right. are very few 20 year old offensive linemen in the nfl that succeed in their first couple of years it takes you time right. to physically develop so doing that stuff this offseason at penn state and projecting into the NFL. I, you know, I just think that this is a better path for him in general. I think that it's a very right. wise move by him and his family. And uh, a lot of times guys don't live up to those expectations because of these things that we don't consider of how hard it is to actually take that step physically. So interesting to hear uh, old Fashanu and James Franklin talk about all of those things. Anything else that stuck out to you? I know you mentioned that a lot of stuff that he wasn't asked is what you were interested in, but any other news and notes from Olu and then and then we'll move on to Adisa. Yeah, no, not really. I mean, it was a pretty straightforward media session with Olu. He's a good interview, but he's an offensive lineman, which is not meant to be a shot or a slight. It's just that most yeah. offensive linemen are very direct and to the point. They don't tend to elaborate much. It's just the way most of them operate. I don't know why that's the case, but it's always been that way. They are, you know, very much businesslike, just like they are in the trenches, right? They go out there, they do their job. You know, they're not talked about usually unless they're doing something wrong. That's just kind of the, the way it is as an offensive lineman. But no, enjoyed getting a chat with him a little bit. We'll get to talk to him more at Penn State Media Days next week. But yeah, clearly you're right, T. Frank. It seemed like this was the best path, best path for him, rather. Uh, and the sky's the limit. He has to do it on the field this year, and all signs say that he will. So Adisa Isaac, speaking of doing it on the field yesterday, uh, had uh, talked about his injury from two years ago at this point. And for most people, you would say that's kind of beating a dead horse because we talked about it last year. He came back, he played, he played well, right. but maybe not what we were expecting from him uh, and I know that that's something you asked him about in terms of where he is on the road to recovery from an Achilles injury, which is a much longer one than some traditional injuries that we know with the sport of football. So, so what do you have to say about where he is heading into this last year at Penn State? 
Yeah, so it's funny to, to go back to the conversation we were having earlier when you and I were testing things out. We were discussing the fact that we did beat this horse to death last year, that he has yeah. been asked a hundred times, maybe a hundred and one times, if he was close to a hundred percent yet last year, coming off the Achilles injury that it cost him a 2021 season. And he repeatedly sort of said the same thing that he was getting closer, but he wasn't there yet. He didn't know when he would be there. And so that's how I presented the question to him yesterday was Adisa, we've asked you this so many times before. We might as well ask you again, are you a hundred percent yet? And he said he was as close to it as he's been and it allowed him to really do some things this offseason in terms of adding strength lower body and upper body that he wasn't able to do before just because of the way they handled his recovery process so I mean he looks bigger to me just the, the eye test compared to what I saw from him when we talked to him at Rose Bowl media day compared to now uh, he definitely looks bigger it looks like he has added that weight and I mean it, it, look he's kind of the overlooked guy on this defensive line right we talk so sure. much about Chop Robinson and with good reason I mean he has preseason American accolades and all that but if this defensive line is going to be as good as many people think it can be. I think Adisa Isaac's as much the key as Chop Robinson is because everyone's going to key on Chop and you need somebody to be able to take advantage of that. Adisa Isaac has a, a tremendous opportunity to do so and there's some guys behind him. He talked highly of a mean man over T. Frank. He was really yeah. a guy that when he was asked to talk about other defensive ends and defensive linemen that could be in for a big year. That was a name that came up a few times. Smith Bilberty talked about Soraya Fisher, of course, coming back off the injury and deny Dennis Sutton. We all know that. So, I mean, this is going to be a very good defensive end group, but I think as long as Adisa Isaac can play at that near or at a hundred percent that we saw in the past from him, he's going to have every opportunity to be as much of a star as Chop Robinson. Yeah, we, we focus a lot on deny Dennis Sutton because we saw what we saw from him in the spring game, former five-star right. player, just and he's massive. Like it's 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 easy to look at guys like Chop Robinson who have outstanding physical skills, and a guy like right. Deny Dennis Sutton who has outstanding physical size, and then somewhere in the middle you have Adisa Isaac who's a good football player, but as you mentioned, right. uh, you know, working back from that, and I, I just find this particular conversation about off season and development so fascinating when it comes to these injuries because I go back to Noah Kane. We talked about Noah Kane mm -hmm. before the twenty twenty. Uh, one season he yeah. came off that injury but late in October he was trying to recover from all that stuff a guy who speed was a thing to begin with if you're injured in the offseason do you have the ability to fully get into the weightlifting program and become your the best version of yourself I've I've talked about it probably too much but I'll just bring it up again Lennon Tangwall coming off an injury what is he able to do in order uh you know in reference to if it's a lower body injury can you squat right. can you deadlift can you do the things necessary to get to the level size strength explosiveness that you need for the football season right. and I don't think that we account for that enough when we talk about projecting a guy having a great season or you know, coming back from an injury or what we should expect from that player. And with Adisa right. this year, uh, you know, he has that opportunity, as James Franklin talked about, to play over 250 pounds because he's had the ability to lift because he had, right. you know, another year for removed from the injury. It's all tied together. And I, I think I, I find that particular conversation uh, both very murky. And I just asked the same question repeatedly, but also fascinating because it's it's a, it's a huge undercurrent in football when these guys are not professionals that are not rehabbing every single day for six hours because they've got school and all the other things going on with them.
Adisa right. also mentioned uh, the defensive tackle rotation. Yeah. The guys next to him on the interior. What did he have to say about that when asked? Yeah, I mean, he feels good about it, but he made a good point. I know you're, I'm going to give you the, the podium or the platform rather as soon as I get this set it up for you. But he mentioned the fact that camp is when they will find out who the leader of that room is going to be. And I thought that was interesting because, well, no, like I said, I'll give you the floor because I know you're ready to run with it. But <laughs> a lot of guys might just make up an answer or just say, you know, everybody or something like that. But he made a very valid point. And, it, and it's that you look at this defensive tackle group, you have plenty of op options between Devon Elliott, because I is assume he's good to go, which we expect uh, Jordan Vandenberg, Hakeem Beeman and others. But until they get into camp, get the pads on and get going and really see who steps up. You can see a lot of stuff in spring practice. You can see a lot of stuff during summer workouts that are player led, of course. But until you get in the fire, I think that it's fair to say we just don't know and they don't know who's going to lead this defensive tackle room. You could make a guess, but until they actually get out there and somebody steps up and does it, it's going to yeah. be hard to say. I'll let you run from there. Yeah, so I think there's there's two sides of leadership, right? And and yep. without getting into specifics, not sure if he's talking about who's the vocal leader, who's like telling everyone uh, what to do, how to, you know, being the coach among the players. And then there's the, the physical leadership of being the top guy in the rotation. And I do think it is right. telling that there isn't anybody yet. Because if there's one thing that has been a common thread of these veteran defensive tackles with Keem Beeman, Kazai Izzard, it's been their unavailability over the last couple of years and and the lack of stability and how PJ Mustafer was the guy that was always leaned on there was we never mentioned another defensive tackle we never mentioned another group of players that were a part of this okay we can count on x it was always like there's six guys and they, they all have right. different levels of talent but they're all good levels of talent who's gonna break out and and traditionally if you think way back that's when that's what training camp was for to figure this stuff out right. but Football so hyper competitive now, and for this team heading into uh, college football, I know that when we were talking, you said, "Well, that's a that's a problem. They don't have this solved before going into camp." It is, but it's also an opportunity during camp to solve it, as as Adisa talked about in in his answer. Right. So it is. It's a little of one. It's a little of the other. But it is yeah. indicative of the defensive tackle position over time. Of it's just a big shrug. It's like I don't know. And if if right. that's what Adisa is saying, then there's no information out. Uh, you know that we don't have at this point right. where we've asked over and over again about these guys. And James Franklin has answered Adisa Isaac's answered. I think we're all in the same boat of everyone's looking for the answer, but the answer is going to come from these guys stepping up or not. And that's going to be right. over the next three, four weeks of camp. That's going to be a huge thing. Yeah. I would even make the argument T Frank that we may not know until middle of September, end of September. I mean, when you yeah. look at what West Virginia is going to do, I don't think Penn State's going to need a tremendous defensive tackle play to beat them. Definitely not going to need it to take on Delaware in week two. I think they'll be okay if they just didn't play any defensive linemen. So you get into that game at Illinois, though, that could be a spot where you need your defensive line and specifically your defensive tackles to step up. So yeah. it could take a little while until we see what exactly they have there. I think we could get a, we'll get a glimpse of it, obviously, in the first two weeks, but I'm just not convinced that we're going to need to see them play at the highest level they have to play at in either of those games. So I think that Illinois game could be really telling about what that position group is going to offer this year. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what West Virginia does because traditionally they use some schemes that Penn State isn't, uh, that I don't think are, are super prevalent all the time in, in the Big Ten. Yeah. There's a lot of traditional looks and fronts and things from from Big Ten teams. So 
I'll be interested to see how they do react to that that out of the gates the we, the West Virginia offensive line and what they do from both a talent schematic standpoint because that that will be I guess it depends on how the game goes, right? Does the offense put right. up 30 points and does it matter? Uh are they right. are they uh on track to to outscore the opponent or do they have to rely on the defense of the running game and play a little bit closer of a game in, in week one. It's uh, we're now talking about the real stuff, Greg. We are, right. we have tangible things to talk about because the season is uh, almost a month away. Pretty exciting That's right. stuff. Yes. Uh, Keaton Ellis last one. Yeah. State college zone. Keaton Ellis, very quiet player. Uh, underrated thing. I, you know, I brought this up. I, the, the story of the safety position over the course of this off season has really changed in my mind. And uh, we talked about the talent and the depth, four players that can start and play in a rotation. They are talented, but the loss of Tig Brown and his ability to get his hands on the football is a real thing. Making plays, being a playmaker. Um, you know, being the captain and being the guy, Keaton Ellis at that position this year, that's been something that's crystallized over the last couple of months that we've talked about this position. What, what did he say about that? now's his time to step up and be the guy at the position. Yeah. He was asked if being a captain changed his approach at all. And he was honest. He said, no, not really, which it shouldn't. I mean, he said it, he's more vocal this off season, which makes sense considering he's in a leadership role now, but otherwise he's preparing as he usually has. But you know, the, the quote again, kind of back to the Olu thing, the big takeaway for me with Keaton Ellis didn't come from Keaton Ellis. It came from James Franklin. The quote was this spring I saw, or he really started out as a playmaker who could play wide receiver defensive back. And although he's had a ton of success and play a lot of games, that playmaking is not what we thought it was going to be the first couple of years this spring yeah. I saw that playmaking from him those skills that he had as a wide receiver in high school I saw that coming back I saw him fast and making plays that was a very blunt assessment from James Franklin and that thing I think tells you everything you need to know Keaton also a starter last year and he does not get talked about like a starter last yep. year and I think there's a reason for that you just said it well number one he was overshadowed by Jair Brown and everything he did but number two he just was a very quiet player but if he is making you know James Franklin the other thing he said was that the ball just found him this spring guess who he said that about last year Kalen King Guess who had yeah. 22 pass breakups or whatever it was last year? Kalen yeah. King. So I'm not saying uh, Keaton Ellis is going to have that kind of year, but when you listen to James Franklin talk about guys a certain way over the last 10 years, you can kind of sometimes tell what he's trying to hint at what could be coming. And I yeah. thought he was hinting that Keaton Ellis is ready for a breakout year, which is weird to say for a guy that has been in this program as long as he has, but started as a cornerback, moved to safety as adjusted to that position. And they named him a captain. They said the balls found him in spring. So I think that, no one's going to replace Jair Brown, but you have to somehow replace the production, the numbers, yep. at least the tackles, the things like that. And I think Keaton Ellis is in line to do it. And the question just becomes who's going to play beside him. Yeah. And to me, that also answers my question of who's going to play where, and are they going to, are they going to use Keaton Ellis in the same way that they used uh, Tig Brown, where he played both positions. He played situationally. He played on third down. I don't know that, Keaton Ellis is going to play all of that stuff that Tig did, but it does right. sound like if, if they're talking about he's making plays, the ball is finding him, he's going to be in that boundary position. He's not going to be just in the field uh, where predominantly he spent his time last year. They Everyone plays both positions, but it's, it's about the percentages of what you're doing out there. And I think that that is very important to the conversation at safety because it does, 
it does lend you to making more plays. If you're around the line of scrimmage, if you're around the tackle box, if you have the opportunity to play uh, in man coverage at times against tight ends and things like that, you're going to have more opportunities to make plays on the football. And yep. if that's if that's what James Franklin is talking about, uh, to me, that's an indicator. I'm ex Now I am expecting to see him a little bit more at both positions. So finally getting some answers. Uh, or at least we think we're getting some answers uh, about right. the upcoming season from Media Days. That's uh, one step closer, once again, to talking about uh, real football happening on the football field. If you've got any questions for Greg or myself uh, about Media Day, what he, what he saw, our interpretation of some of these conversations, we're going to be talking about uh, what James Franklin had to say coming up in just a little bit. But get your questions in the live chat. Uh, wide open today. So if you want to be a part of the show, you want to be the star of the show, we're not, we haven't done a big uh, BWI mailbag yet, so if you want to throw some questions in there, we get enough of them, we'll do a mailbag at the end of the show. But, uh, you know, put your questions in at any point, and we'll be talking to you as well. And we're going to talk about James Franklin and his comments after this. Are you a company that is passionate about athletics and wants to tap into the Penn State sports community? Maybe you're a community organization in State College, Center County, Pennsylvania, or even Planet Earth. Are you interested in growing your brand and leveraging our YouTube and podcast platform? Or are you just a person that has some money to spend? If you're any of those things, or something I didn't bring up just now, consider advertising on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube show. We have a dedicated and passionate audience that is just waiting to hear from you. Through, through me, talking about your business on the show. That, that's how we do it. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, Email Michelle Delee Hamilton at Michelle at ComanPub.com. That's Michelle at ComanPub.com. We're waiting to hear from you through me talking about you. Again, that's how we do it. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So, Greg, uh, James Franklin spoke for 45 minutes yesterday talking to reporters, as you mentioned, locally, nationally, internationally, sub-internationally, intranationally. A lot of people stopped by to yes. ask James Franklin a wide variety of questions. That's right. Where do you want to start in terms of what stuck out to you about his comments, the, the things that, that were meaningful to Penn State fans? 
where do you where do you think we should start? Quarterbacks? Does that sound like something people might want to talk about? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. We can get we can go through his non-answer once again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So look, they're starting camp with a competition. Of course, everyone expects Drew Aller to be the guy. But if we thought, you know, one of the things we talked about on uh, last week's show was that, or earlier this week's show rather, is that if you thought James Franklin was going to uh, come to Indianapolis and name a starting quarterback, you were going to be disappointed because it was never going to happen. He believes in competition. He believes in not giving an opponent any more information than they need. Now, look, obviously, West Virginia is preparing for Drew Aller to start. But point being is he is in the past. He's only had a couple of these uh, decisions to make, but he's in the past waited until like mid to late August to make the final call in terms of publicly. So I was not expecting to hear that. But that's, of course, the first thing that probably jumped out to most people. Other than that, it wasn't a huge newsy day in terms of things that were just so like there's a lot of good stuff that came out of it. You can read about it at BoydIllustrated.com, but there weren't a whole lot of things that you know were major headline grabbing attention things. Yeah. And you know, I thought the uh story he told about maybe not almost hiring Dion Barnes because he thought yeah. that maybe he had to go somewhere else because he felt like he was a GA for him, a player at Penn State, blah, blah, blah. And he thought maybe he had to go somewhere else, but then he blew everybody else away in the interview process. I thought that was extremely interesting because it was a peek behind the curtain. I mean James Franklin typically wraps up his assistant coach hires in about five to seven days. That's the average. And, you know, this one took two weeks and happened yep. right before spring practice started. Now, obviously, John Scott Jr. left in late February, so the timing was not ideal. But I have no doubt in my mind they had numerous candidates for this job and people that were very interested in it from the NFL and from the college level who have done this before, both recruiting and also coaching. And, uh, you know, Deion Barnes had been a GA, but he had never been an on-field coach before. And, and James Franklin just became convinced that he was the right man for the job. And I think maybe the most important part of that conversation was that he said Manny Diaz was a big proponent of Deion yeah. Barnes yeah, and Manny too, Diaz yeah. obviously is not like James Franklin he has not spent a lot of time around Deion Barnes uh what eight months I guess over a year now but you know when they were making that hire so for him to feel that confident about that guy being on his defensive staff I think says the world about Deion Barnes and it says that James Franklin likely made the right decision Penn State's doing very well in the recruiting trail with defensive linemen and now they got to do it on the field he has a lot of good players in front of him the players love him they have to perform form for him but I thought that was an interesting peek behind the curtain that we typically don't get when it comes to these kind of hires yeah and I think the juxtaposition of Dion Barnes's success uh, in the recruiting part you know we talked about Liam Andrews and T.A. Cunningham also getting uh, DeAndre Cook Xavier Gilliam Malachi Williams a really talented maybe guys that are a little bit raw but high upside class and and succeeding in a lot of areas where Penn State has struggled previously and then to have James Franklin say, yeah, and I almost didn't do it because Dion Barnes needed to go and grow up somewhere else for a minute. But turns out he didn't have to. And, you know, that that gamble seems to be paying off, at least right now. The, they have to perform in the fall. And I think, again, right. the, the whole conversation about defensive tackles and their ability to maximize their talents, that's on the individual, right? So the player right. has to decide, I want to be great at football. But... They need to have the tools. They need to have the coaching in order to, right. you know, find the avenues for success. And that combination, we're gonna have to see if something different happens this fall because, you know, John Scott right. Jr. It was it was a good coach, and I know he's well respected and well liked. The results were okay. You know, the recruiting results were what they were. The results were okay. We talk about a talent gap between Penn State and, you know, some of their like competition in the Big Ten and elsewhere on a national scale at that position. So. 
the results were kind of just what they were. Does Dion Barnes, uh, besides the recruiting part, can he help elevate that group into the fall when we talk about Jordan Vandenberg, Caleb Artis, uh, Zane Durant, guys, young guys that have talent behind these starters like Akeem Beeman? Right. And, you know, what what is his impact on those players? We Marcus Higgins came up in that conversation as well at the receiver position. So uh, there there is this first year make a difference sort of pressure on these guys in such an important year. Um, yeah, so you know that, what? That, I'm that curious. Was an interesting conversation. Yeah. It is. You know what? I'm curious. I'm just thinking about it as you talk there. But, you know, we'll have Penn State Media Day coming up here in a couple weeks and we'll get to talk to the assistant coaches. One thing I wonder about is with Torrance Brown being on staff as a graduate assistant, obviously a former defensive end himself, does that give Deion Barnes more time to focus on the defensive tackles or how do they handle that? Every coaching staff, especially when you have a GA tied to your position, splits things up differently. I wonder how they're doing it. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Guys that that have similar history too, you know, playing right. with James Franklin, playing in a system similar to Manny Diaz's with Roof and Brent Pry. So yeah, that that's a very interesting uh, breakdown. Maybe they can make a difference there. This one, I, not as much of a conversation, but it was brought up several times uh, to James Franklin in both of his press conferences. No Ohio State on the schedule. Right. Uh, Franklin didn't seem to be shedding a tear about that. Uh, Nor which should is, he. <laughs> Maybe the opposite of what people were expecting, giving Penn State's competition with Ohio State over the years. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's very simple. Is why Ohio State doesn't want to play Penn State and Michigan every year. Michigan yeah. doesn't want to play Ohio State and Penn State every year. And Penn State shouldn't want to play Ohio State and Michigan every year. When you have three clear top teams in the Big Ten, which is what we have right now, of course yeah. they don't want to beat each other up on the way to getting to the Big Ten title game or the college football playoff. And that's especially true when we go to an expanded playoff. And, and then so, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not sure. There, there was seemingly this uh, uh, drive by some of the reporters here to get James Franklin to complain about not playing Ohio State and Michigan every year or I'm not sure what anyone was hoping to gain in that conversation because I I mean he was pretty blunt he was like you know he's yeah they asked him about not having Ohio State as a protected rival and he said I don't really look at them that way like we played they're a team that was very good that we've played a lot of good game competitive games with but he's like I don't know if I I don't look at it that way I think where do you I don't think I would describe it the way you did when he was asked about Ohio State and protected rival in the same sentence and I agree with him I mean he made a good point then too about Pitt you know when they every he said when I got here everyone was talking about this Pitt rivalry and 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 so on and so forth he's like most of the players on that team had never seen a Pitt Penn State game before. In fact, yeah. I'd be willing to wager almost all of them haven't. Um, and he was kind of saying that, that, you know, everyone was so pumped up about that being a rivalry. But to the current day and age, it, you know, it was back in the day and when those two teams played each other a lot, but they hadn't played in years prior to that series that uh, concluded in what, 16 or so, whatever it was. So, yeah. yeah, an interesting conversation. But yeah, they don't have a protected rival. I, it, it, you know, I asked Pat Kraft about that on Tuesday. He just basically said that the Big Ten, you know, they don't dictate the schedule to the Big Ten. The Big Ten dictates it to them. And I'm mm-hmm. sure they gave an opinion. He didn't say what you know, the part of the question I wanted to know was, did they submit one? Like, did they submit Ohio State or Rutgers or Maryland? And he didn't say. So we'll never know that answer. And it, I guess it doesn't really matter because it didn't work out that way anyway. But, uh, yeah, very interesting that that came up repeatedly. Uh, yeah. to, and, you know, that it's and a, NIL pretty much dominated his breakout session. It's a no-win question for Franklin, too, because consider the right. fact if he does say, yes, you know, we are their rival, then then every Ohio State and Michigan blogger, journalist, 
fan, national person is going to go, you're not their rival. They're each other's right. rival. They like the, That's clear. History. Don't you know your history? Blah, blah, blah. And like, right. look at Penn State trying to get in on this. And it's like, that's that's not a winning answer. And to say right. like, yeah, we're happy that we're not playing them makes it sound like Penn State doesn't want to play the best. And his point was right. everyone wants to get to the college football playoff. The Big Ten right. should be trying to get as many teams as possible into the college football playoff. And that means yep. not smashing your GI Joe figures together and breaking right. them before you get there. Like don't do right. this every year. This has been a huge problem for Penn state and for Michigan and right. just in general for the big 10, that they only get one team in. And I think, you know, it's, right. it's the realistic part of the answer where everyone wants to talk about these, uh, emotional grab bags of like, Oh, right. they're the rival close games, blah, blah, blah. Um, a little closer to home, special teams came up, and I don't know that James Franklin really had much of an answer here, but what did he say about the kicking competition? This is something that I think fans are getting more and more uneasy about as we get closer well, to the Well, they should season. be. They should be, and that's not a slight any of the guys on the roster, but you go into a season with arguably everyone thinks the offense is going to be high-flying. Everyone thinks the defense is going to be stout and maybe even better than a year ago. What can undo both of those things? Bad special teams, fumbled punts, bad punts, uh, kickoff returns that end up, you know, instead of being a touchback, they end up getting tackled at the five. Uh, missed field goals, missed extra points. I mean, Penn State has, what, three or two scholarship kickers now and two uh, and two punters battling it out. So James Franklin said they brought guys in this offseason. He's talking about Alex Falcons, the kicker, and and Alex, or I'm sorry, uh, um, Riley Thompson, the punter, because they didn't feel like they had the kind of competition they wanted to have at that spot. So, and and I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he said more or less that it's not, it wasn't necessarily anything to do with the two guys who are here, Alex Pachetta, and the punter, and Sanders to Haydack, the kicker, but more so that they wanted those guys to be pushed like every other position is pushed. Now, I think you could make a very compelling argument that if they were performing at such a high level that they were the clear starters, you wouldn't really care if they were pushed or not. At least that's how right. I would look at it. But right. um, but yeah, I think that I think Penn State's going to be okay in this department, but I do think it's something that you're right. It wasn't talked about. I remember we did a show, I don't know, a month or two ago, and this was uh, brought up special teams, and no one, I think, was really that interested in that part of the conversation. May have tuned out. I'm not sure. But as yeah. we get closer to the season, I think there's a lot of people starting to realize, oh, wait, there isn't a Jordan Stout or a Blake Gilligan or you know even a Jake Pinniger who I think got more slack or more uh, flack than he deserved during his time at Penn State but yeah so I mean they're still competing I, I mean Tyler Duzanski is going to be the long snapper I think we can say that definitively uh, yeah. and if not Sean Fitz will talk it into existence but other than that um, you know they have things to figure out at pretty much every special team spot and they'll be fine covering kicks and punts I have no doubt about that but when it comes to actually doing the job of kickoffs Placement kicking and punting, uh, they still got to figure it out. Yeah, I, part of the, part of my problem with it is special teams is closer to golf than football at times, and I don't I don't know anything about golf. So what do you? How are you supposed to measure that when we don't so, have a great view of what they do during practice for the most part? Right. So I mean, the way they're going to measure it is the way James Franklin explained it yesterday was I mean those guys are going to kick from the same spot, punt from the same spot. They're going to track all the metrics they track. And whoever does the best in those metrics is going to get the job. And so it's, it's, it, and he, you know, though, I guess the way he was explaining it is that it's a little bit more straightforward than, you know, is this guy the number three receiver or is this guy the number four receiver? Like there's things you can track there, but there's a lot of different variables. Whereas yeah. obviously with punting, 
Can you put the ball inside the opponent's 20 without kicking it into the end zone? As a kicker, can you make it from 20, 30, 40? Who did it better? And so it's a lot more, I think, data-driven as opposed to saying, well, you know, uh, this guard blocked this guy really good on these five plays, but these four weren't as good. And when we tried to go to the right, he did this and the left and the other guy, you know, there's so many variables, whereas obviously with the specialist, it's a more straightforward thing. So we'll see. Um, Again, I don't know if that's something that they have to decide right away because again you're going to be a three score favorite if not four against west virginia you're going to be a Mm -hmm. 45 or 50 point favorite against delaware so you have some time to figure these out things out in game action which i think is a good thing because that's might be what they need uh on special teams yeah uh but if you're scoring that many points as lambda points out here in the chat don't need a punter if you score every (laughs) possession so you might not be punting a whole lot in those games if you're scoring touchdowns uh, that is that that's that in, in that's two games. You put, that's why you get to reserve some work, T Frank, because it may come down to you need to punt. That's and it's that's good it. for everyone. Yeah. Um, if you are watching at this point, like the video, always appreciate that. But more importantly, we're heading into the season. Subscribe to Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube, totally free to you. And then if you enable notifications, you'll know every time that we go live, we post a video, we post a highlight clip, or if we've got breaking news content, all that stuff coming up to you this fall, pre and post game as well. We'll be doing a live pregame show, uh, with seven mountains media, local radio, uh, station here in state college we're going to be live outside of beaver stadium for home games we are going to be uh live in studio for away games providing you 90 minutes of content and entertainment getting you ready for the game aeneas hawkins former penn state defensive tackle is going to be joining me on that show so join us for that and then of course the live post game coverage coming up this fall just two of the nuggets that we're adding here for the fall lineup we've already added ksn on bwy the local keystone sports network keystone kickoff show which i do every wednesday we're going to be airing those here on youtube as well that's coming up tomorrow by the way so if you want to watch that show that's coming up tomorrow friday we're getting into the better or worse series i did for the website uh earlier this month and of course mentioning the website subscribe to bluewhiteillustrated.com use promo code we are 2023 and i'll put it up here for you right now on the uh, youtube channel but if you're listening and you don't have the uh visual aid it's capital we capital r 2023 use that promo code for your first time sign up at bluewhiteillustrated.com you'll get 25 percent off your subscription for an annual subscription to blue white illustrated super valuable last things we got to get into here um i know we we've got some questions i want to get to in the chat but james franklin yeah. mentioned a lot of comparisons between yeah. 2022 and 2023 during his uh, 15 minutes at the podium. Yeah. And then he came back and, and kind of followed up on that. I was very interested to, to hear him say, 2022, they had a lot of guys that contributed game four and were made meaningful impact on the team. And that got me thinking, okay, I wonder who the guys are this year. And you can go through the freshman class. And really, yeah. it was the freshman class that made a huge impact on the team late in the year. But he brought right. up Khalil Dinkins when speaking of that in in the second uh, media scrum. Yeah. So, uh, do, do you have a first off? What did he say about Dinkins, and, and who are some of the other guys that come to mind for you as players who can make an impact midway through the season uh, that maybe just need time to develop? 
Yeah, so I think the thing with Khalil Dinkins is is that, let's be honest, Penn State has used three tight ends, T. Frank, in a variety of ways during the Mike Yersich era, and really for a good chunk of James Franklin's time here, as long as they've had the bodies. They got two in Tyler Johnson, or uh, Theo Johnson, rather, and Tyler Warren, and they are going to use a third, and I think Dinkins is someone, I mean, Franklin was asked directly about Dinkins, which is why he talked about him, but he gave a good answer and said that he's progressed and things like that. And we've heard some good things about him this offseason, so uh, I believe the quote was, he's a guy you might see, like, we might be talking about more or four or five games into the season than we are right now and he said that about a few guys and you know the thing about that is is that i i just so i don't know the answer that the, the whole thing was just a little bizarre he was asked about what nicholas singleton and abdul carter have to do to have a uh, better year two than year one and he launched into this whole thing about you know guys you might see in four games or five games and i guess his whole point was he wants people behind those two to push them whether it's tony rojas at linebacker or obviously you know you have some other guys in that linebacker position or whether it's uh cam wallace at running back and katron allen and nick singleton pushing each other but yeah I, I didn't really understand how we got to that point from that question you can go watch it uh right here on the youtube channel if you're uh listening on the youtube state channel but yeah it was just interesting to me that how we got there but yeah I mean I think that when you look at this roster the good news is is you might not need many of those guys to do it and I think it's hard to predict yeah. who they're going to be because look I Tony Rojas is obviously going to play whether it starts on special teams and, and mixes into the defense or if he's in the defense right away I think it's pretty clear he's going to be used King Max a guy we're going to see there's no doubt about that you know, we talk about tight end. Andrew Rapplier is a guy that's been talked about as maybe being an instant impact contributor. But we got to see what he does in summer camp first. So there's guys there. But I I think to try and – I think it was easier last year. Like you had a good feel for yeah. who the guys were. And, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, and well, he said Abdul Carter was a good example of someone no one was talking about, but they were talking about him in, later, you know, September and October. And I, I make the argument that – he was discussed. Maybe obviously his play caused him to be talked about more, but yeah. he was just talked about as a guy that could make an impact out of the gate. So, uh, you know, we'll see. But I don't know if that completely answers your question. But I, I do think that, you know, it's you know you're trying to predict guys who you're going to be talking about. If you knew who they were, you'd be talking about them already. But I do think yeah. some of the names we rattle off there are, are on that list. Yeah. So that I guess that was my point, and, and maybe I set it up the wrong way. But you got to the point of where are the holes for these guys to fill? You know, right. we, we talk about defensive tackle. We talk about receiver. Carmelo right. Taylor, I don't think, is a, a part of the conversation to make an impact at receiver. And, and really, like, he's already talking about four or five guys to make a, two, a true too deep at that position. Defensive tackle, right. there's not anybody you're going to target there. Uh, Ty Blanding, again, just one guy at the defensive tackle position. Nobody coming in to disrupt the right. order. So then you're looking at, you've got enough linebackers that are starters right now. And so it's going to be about snap dif uh, distribution with Tony Rojas. Uh, maybe on special teams. I've been pegging Elliott Washington and Dakari Nelson as heat-seeking missile-type players. They're right. big. They're fast. They hit. Those are guys that could maybe do something on special teams. But when you got four safeties and you're wondering who's playing where, is Dakari Nelson going to make an impact there? And, and you know, Elliott Washington, I think that there's a path for him to be the fourth corner. But right. that's the fourth corner. That's not coming in and changing the lineup. Like that's right. This is this. Now we're getting into if something happens. Uh, speaking right. of something happening, we've got some interesting uh, chat activity. I want to get to in today's uh, BWI mailbag. Pretty cool graphic, P. Frank. I like that. 
pretty cool. Is this that's the first time you've been on with the with the mailbag? It roster? is. Yeah, yeah, it is. I like it. Well, I'm I'm glad. I appreciate you saying that. I'm gonna get to the things a little bit out of order here. Lambda just put one of these in the chat talking about what we were just discussing: young players that can make an impact. He has, asks, any chance Tamir Robinson gets an extended look at Mike, or is it the Elsden King show all year? Greg, any thoughts on that about I, I the think Mike linebacker? Yeah, I mean, I'm curious. I'm assuming Tyler Elson will be back and ready to go for spring practice. But uh, yeah, I would guess. Look, I again with the remember the rule change now. So you get four games for a red shirt and any postseason games. Yep. And once you so if you play four games in the regular season, as we learned with uh, uh, Vega Ioni last year and a couple other guys, like once you hit that bowl game, you couldn't play. You were if you or you burned your red shirt. Well, they changed that rule so you can play in the bowl game and play a fifth game and it doesn't burn your red shirt. So. Tamir, speaking of like we were just talking about a moment ago, some of these guys getting opportunities or some of these guys playing and, you know, that we may be talking about more younger guys, freshmen, first years, um, you know, Tamir Robinson, I'm sure is going to get his feet wet this year, but I'd be surprised if he overcomes King or Elston to uh, get meaningful, significant, uh, big game, big moment reps. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty clear picture. Again, we're also expecting to see a little bit, however much is really the story here, a little bit of Abdul Carter at Mike and... I just throwing this out there, like if you're 235 uh, and you you can play Mike, like at this point, Curtis Jacobs is probably as big as Tyler Elsden from a from a size perspective. So I know right. game is very different than just pure height and weight. But on third down, if you want to play either of those guys at Mike, that's fine. And so you've got four players you could realistically play at that position. So Tamir, as you pointed out, obviously going to get he's going to see the field. But I I think he's a hard red shirt. And you, you want that. I think you want that because you want to give him time to develop and really hit right. the ground running as a redshirt freshman to do what you are talking about, which is raise the level of athleticism at that position. Um, right. and, and he's faster than both of those guys. He's Unbelievably, he's bigger than both those guys, although Kobe King, uh, <laughs> Curtis Jacobs, went, I think last year when we were talking to him, he says, I call him, uh, I think he says I call him Adidas because he looks like a shoe because he's just like a triangle. <laughs> he's just this triangle. He's huge. Uh, but, you know, that athleticism you're looking for in Manny Diaz's defense, you like to have a little bit more sideline to sideline speed. So tangent here. But, yeah, I, I think uh, Tammy Robinson, kind of an X-year guy. Stephen Light says, James made a point about toughness in one interview. Interesting. Well, I, don't, I did not catch yeah, it. Do you remember? What I he didn't was either. About? Yeah. No, I didn't either. Now, look, James Franklin didn't just do his 15 minute uh, podium session and then 45 minute breakout. He also talked to numerous other uh, national media members one on one. He was on the Andy Staples show on the On Three YouTube channel. Uh, he yep. talked to a handful of other uh, national media folks and recorded interviews. So, yeah, I'm not sure, Steve. I know you can get us on the board, let us know, and I, we'll certainly track it down. But I, I didn't catch that either. The two, uh, you know, either the two chances we had to talk to them yesterday. Kyle asks, and this one, I, I think again, we don't really have a great answer for. Do we have any more insight into Dante Cephas? I know Curtis said he was that guy here on the show. Kyle, appreciate you uh, watching the show and being an avid viewer. If you want to go check it out, we had an exclusive interview live on the channel with Curtis Jacobs, Penn State linebacker. Uh, have we heard anything about testing or summer workouts? I, I think that we've heard positive reviews, but the main thing that you and I, Greg, when we've had a chance to speak to people is that they don't know yet because they haven't seen him in meaningful snaps this year. 
Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you can obviously look at the production he had at, at Kent State and you can see the things that he did. And I'm sure when he got here, he tested and did all that kind of stuff. But, you know, James Franklin was asked to assess the summer arrivals, and that includes transfers like Dante Cephas and also the underclassmen and or the, the class of 2023 guys. And he was just basically like, look, uh, we, we don't know until we get into camp because the strength, you know, you can get good and, it, it, you know, you're getting reports from the strength staff, reports from other players who are working out with them. But I'm not saying it's meaningless because it's certainly not all feedback and information is good. We know that James Franklin likes to get as much information as possible before making a decision. But at the same time, until you get him out there in the pads against the what is going to be one of the best defenses in the country in all likelihood, I just think you're trying to get ahead of something that you're going to get an answer to soon enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, and that's, they're always happy to not answer questions uh, that they don't have to, especially if they can answer them better later. Uh, Josh asks who are the punt and kick returners part of the special teams conversation from earlier in the show. Uh, I think kick return pretty clear that it's going to be Nick Singleton, Catron Allen are the first guys up there. They want to get those guys as many touches as possible. You can feel however you want about that. Saquon Barkley didn't get injured on any kick or punt returns or kick returns, I should say. Right. Um, but it's always a possibility. The punt returner position, I think, is interesting. They did not get a lot from it last year. I know that Parker Washington had a couple of good returns, but overall, this was an area that was lacking. Do you think this is an area that can take a step forward? And who might it be, in your opinion, uh, on the roster that has those skills? Yeah, I do think they can take a step forward there. But look, ultimately, there's I mean, there's a lot of good punters in the Big Ten, which is kind of a funny Big Ten thing to say, but it's true. Um, so it, you just need to catch the ball, right? Like that. It, you, sometimes you just trade uh, consistency for explosiveness. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you can break one, sure. And if you can do both, even better. But, you're, if you, you know, if it comes down to the guy who could score a touchdown catches it nine times out of 10. And the guy who is probably not going to break away catches it 10 times out of 10. You're going with the 10 out of 10 guy every single time. Yeah. So, you know, Daquan Hardy, Caden Saunders are guys I think will be interesting. Uh, Stacy Collins told Nate Bauer that Dante Cephas, funnily enough, could get a look. King Max, Zion Tracy, Cam Wallace, young guys. So we'll see. But, you know, that's another one of those things where, again, when you talk about special teams, you just got to get into camp and do it. I mean, yeah. you can catch 50 punts with nobody coming down at you, you know, out on the last practice fields now in June and July and May and whatever. But once you get out there and you have, uh, you know, someone coming down and try and take your head off, even though your teammates uh, and you get that feel of those cleats coming at you, you know, even if you did it in high school, it's completely different now. So, you know, I yeah. think that that's just one of those spots where I think they have options for sure. They got to figure out who can do it consistently. and That's going to take some time. Yeah, this is an area where I think that Penn State needs to be a little bit better, like I said. And Caden Saunders is, is, a, is a dude that has all the talent that you're looking for. The explosiveness, the elusiveness. He's a very shifty guy, and when he gets in the open field, yeah, not, not the elite speed of a Daquan Hardy, but really good speed. And so, like, this is an area where I think Penn State recruits a lot of guys that are good, it, yeah. at punt return. It just feels like unleashing them has come down to, has, has kind of, been an inconsistent issue uh, right. with the team a and it's an area where if you're looking for small advantages if your punting game and kicking game aren't working like on special teams that that's an area where you can take a step forward last right. question you can get your questions in here quickly but this is the last one i see that one we want to address Fishboy asks is the lumberjack beard coming back for the season t frank um i think i said this on the show the other day I went back and I was deleting some old videos in our file because we were getting a little full on the data side. And I just saw the thumbnails of me over time. 
And I just, I, I asked my wife, why did no one stop me? Well, I look like I'm like going through something. I don't know that it was a good look when it was coming out here, Greg. It was not a, like it looked like like an old sea captain depression beard. Uh, as much as I tried to maintain it, the problem is, Greg, and this is too much information because no one cares. Like I have very curly hair, so to grow it lengthwise doesn't work. Like it just turns into this ever expanding sideways thing, and it just. As much as I appreciated everyone getting on with it and and having fun with it with me, yeah, um, I did it once and that was enough. So I think what you see here is what you're going to get for the rest of the time. So all right, that Good to know. that answers that. Fishboy not happy with that answer. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you <laughs> every time you donate to the channel, I'll keep my beard another week longer. How about that? That way we'll we'll have an incentive for it to happen, and there'll be a reason behind it other than T. Frank is going through an existential crisis, maybe, but re not really. wasn't wasn't uh, right. a problem. <laughs> Uh, so once again, we got another show coming up on Friday, a full slate of shows this week with KSN on uh, BWI coming up tomorrow at 10 a.m. Greg, anything to get us out of here? Anything you're writing about uh, media days? Anything looking ahead for the site today? I am tomorrow? thrilled that we made it 48 minutes with no connection issues. I would have bet a lot of money against that being the case, so I'll yeah. take it. Now, uh, I'm heading over to Lucas Oil Stadium in about, eh, I think the first news conference is at 11. I'll get over there about 1130. Looking forward to seeing who's over there. I didn't get a chance to chat with Todd Blackledge yesterday, so hoping to grab him and get a few quotes from him about Penn State. Gary Danielson of CBS is around. Would love to get his thoughts as he comes back to call the Big Ten with CBS. He'll have the Penn State-Iowa whiteout game, of course, uh, in September. And then uh, Bill Carollo, the Big Ten officiating coordinator, is supposed to be there. I know there's a lot of you on the uh, Blue White Illustrated Lions Den Forum who have questions for him. He wasn't available yesterday. We'll see if he is today. But no, looking forward to uh, going over there and, and trying to get some stuff for everyone and, and just glad we could make this work, T. Frank. I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you, Greg. You're the man. Uh, he's been on the ground gathering all this great uh, audio and video for us on the YouTube channel. I just think that uh, there's few people that do it as efficiently and with as much consideration as Greg. He's an awesome reporter and a better person. So, Greg, you've been doing an awesome job this week. Thank you for all of your hard work. Thank you, T. Frank. That'll do it for today. We'll be back tomorrow. So, as always, we'll talk to you then. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, 
Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-424-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.